awareness of the environment and our responsibility to heal the environment and not harm the environment is, is very strong. And Anita and I try to live that out in our home. We think about our carbon footprint. We think about things that are good for the environment, think of the things that are bad for the environment. Um, but I know that not all Christians feel the same way. They don't live the same way. Uh, they're not so perhaps sensitive to some things. And my job, as I've realized in reading Paul's book on, uh, letter of Romans again, and to read this, is that my job is not to uh, convert everyone else to my way of thinking or living, and it's certainly not my job to judge other people either. So as I ride up, I don't know, the row haze on my electric bike, and you overtake me in your two-and-a-half-ton SUV, I will wave at you, and I will not judge you. <laughs> but I'll also hope that you like bicycles as well. So notice that while some things are disputable, others are not. We can't just pretend that we all agree or that nothing matters, that everything's okay. These are really very wishy-washy, postmodern ways of living and believing and acting. You see, Paul would not allow, allow us to call the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus disputable. That's a core matter. The forgiveness of sins, core matter. The new life in the spirit, core matter. So it's important, Paul says to the church, effectively in Rome, we can agree to disagree on disputable matters. That will save a lot of wasted energy. And, but we can hold steadfastly to those core matters of faith. You don't have to let go of those in order to achieve unity. So there's Paul's words, if you like, to the Roman church. And perhaps go a little bit deeper in this next section. More breaking news. Christians can make the world a better place, which uh, I, I, I'm sort of an, I am an optimist. By nature, I'm an optimist. Um, and I've got a little tigger inside me. I'm not Eeyore, I've got a little tigger in there. And I believe that we can make, wherever we are, a better place. Uh, Paul starts, he says rather in chapter 13, being to be subject to the governing authorities in Rome. He's telling the Christians, be subject, you know, be good citizens. Don't be uh, troublemakers for the sake of trouble. Um, get along peaceably in your homes and workplaces. Be good eggs, if you like, if that was such a phrase then. But when Paul says be subject to the authorities, we've got to read that alongside other scriptures. See, if secular authorities tell you to do something which God forbids, or if secular authorities forbid you to do something which God commands you to do, then God's commands will take priority. Examples are Christians smuggling Bibles into China, or the nonviolent civil rights teaching of Martin Luther King, standing up for the oppressed in the Old Testament, Daniel 3, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, or was it make the bed, shake the bed, and to bed we go? Is that the one? Uh, defied, so they defied King Nebuchadnezzar's order to bow and worship the golden idol. They defied the order. Um, in Acts 4, in the New Testament, Peter and John defy the Jewish leader's order not to speak or preach about Jesus. They defy it. So then Paul goes on to say, uh, when, with regard to living in society, remember we're moving out of the, how to live in church, but how to live in the society around us. Let no debt remain outstanding, and love does no harm to a neighbor. Uh, I was, again, speaking to someone recently who told me when it was the storm that they were pretty terrified that some branches or a tree would fall into their neighbor's garden. And I said, why? They said, my neighbor is a nightmare. 
absolute nightmare. You know, it's terrifying. Like, we'll, we'll just fly off the handle at the slightest thing. Um, I wonder if it was anyone in this room that was that neighbour. I wonder if it was. But we are called to do no harm to a neighbour. We're certainly not called to terrify our neighbours. I'm, I'm lucky where we are. We've got fantastic neighbours, um, really nice folks. But Paul basically says this, there is this debt to love other people. That's the only thing we should owe anyone, which is to love them. And whether that was in first century Rome or whether it's in 21st century Guernsey, this debt is not a crippling debt, um, but it's a liberating debt. It's not burdensome, it's inspiring. Because each of us here, each of you, are a new creation. You are spirit-filled people, and you are free to move in daily acts of kindness. You are free to go, to go do that. Paul then goes on and says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And also clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when you're a child, you know, you know it, you're sitting on the back seat of the car, and if you had cars in those days, I don't know, but we, we had a, a very battered up old sort of 15-year-old Ford Cortina, I think it was, sitting on the back seat. And it's sort of, it's like this, isn't it? Every sort of three minutes you say, are we there yet? We know that. It was in Shrek, I think. It was one of those, one of those, anime, one of those films. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And it's as if we are Christians on the back seat of God's car and he's in the front driving and he looks around and he goes, we're nearly there. Are we there yet, Lord? We're nearly there. Are we there yet, Lord? We're nearly there. And I do think we are nearly there, whatever nearly there means to you or to me. But I think we are nearly there. And I'm hopeful for that uh, because I've done everything I need to do. I've got a conservatory. Um, <laughs> I've got a spaniel. Life is full and rich. Um, so I've, you know, sometimes like our, our kids, they probably think, well, I'm not sure I want Jesus to come back yet because maybe I'm not married or I haven't had a child. There's things I haven't done yet. But for me, I've pretty well done it all. You are seeing a pretty burnt out person <laughs> who's got nothing else to live or hope for or whatever. But no, are we there yet, Lord? We're nearly there. Are we there yet? We're nearly there. Jesus will return soon and we will live in a renewed earth and a restored heaven and that fills me with incredible hope and, and God's space and our space will be one and the same we're already citizens of the kingdom when you walk out there today into society you are not a citizen of the kingdom in waiting you are already a citizen of the kingdom right now the kingdom has come the kingdom is coming and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're under the Lordship of Jesus but while we wait for the physical return of Jesus what does it actually look like? What does it look like to put on the armor of light? What does it look like to be clothed in Jesus? What does that mean? So I'm just going to show you, this is highly technical, I failed in the first service. This has got a, an on-off button, just one button, and I got it wrong this morning, didn't I, John? So this is, I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna show you what does it look like to be wearing the armor of light and be clothed in Jesus. Let's see. This is a pub quiz on a Sunday morning. Who knows who that is, anyone? I hope you don't. Any, any, any people that know that? Okay, that is the life of someone that was clothed in Christ and put on the armour of light. That's Chad Vara. He was born in Lincolnshire, the eldest of nine children of the vicar of the Anglican Church of St. Peter. 
1935, Chad Vara, the black and white picture was taken in the, in the 50s, he was an assistant curate in 1935, his first church service ever, and it was for a 14-year-old girl who'd taken her own life because she'd begun to menstruate and feared mistakenly that she had a sexually transmitted disease. And he later said, oh, it's, it's painful, isn't it? He said, later said, little girl, I, I didn't know you, but you have changed the rest of my life for good, for good. And he vowed at that time to help people who were contemplating taking their own lives and had nowhere else to turn. And Chad Vara founded in 1953 the Samaritans in the crypt of his church in St. Stephen next to Mansion House in the city of London. And the aim was that it would be an organization, in his own words, to befriend the suicidal and despairing. And that phone line in the crypt received its first call on the 2nd of November, 1953, and today the Samaritans have around 22,000 volunteers and more than 200 branches across the UK and Ireland, and every 10 seconds Samaritans respond to a call for help. I was told this morning that uh, Guernsey Samaritans, it's Forest Lane, I believe, uh, are based there, and they ha are celebrating their 60th anniversary. So what does it look like to be clothed in Christ, to be wearing the armor of light. I think it looks something like that. Um, and another amazing example, there we go, is the life of Joshua Coombe. Some of you will know this guy, will have known, know the story. I don't know whether Joshua's a Christian or not, but the purpose is not to uh, illustrate his faith, it's to illustrate his compassion. And hopefully we could take inspiration from that. So you'll see, I don't know if you can make that out, yeah, he's shaving and giving people haircuts on the streets of London. In 2015, Joshua was uh, working at a London hair salon, and he took to the streets with his scissors to offer haircuts to men and women that were experiencing homelessness. He believed with a passion, in his own words, that small acts of love can make a big difference. Um, he said many issues in the world are changed simply by sharing our time. And it's something he realized on that spring evening in 2015. And here's his own words. He said, I was on my way to a friend's house after finishing work in the salon, and on the way I met someone who was homeless at the time. Uh, I'd often stopped to buy him a hot drink or give some uh, pocket change to people. But this time it was different. While we were talking, I remember that I had my hair tools in my backpack, and I offered him a haircut. We connected and became close. And the next time we met, he introduced me to some of his friends. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, Joshua began posting images on social media with, the, with their permission, with the stories uh, of those folks and their faces. Um, and hashtag do something for nothing was born, a movement that encourages people to connect their skills and time to those who need them. We're in a minute, moment just going to show a short video, two or three minutes, and I'm also going to buy his book because its individual chapters are the people that he met, their face and their story, their face and their story. This is what it could look like for him, for others, for what it will look like for you to be clothed in Christ and wearing the armor will be, will be different. But let's just watch this video. Hope you love it. I'll then come back up.
That lovely story, but that can be our story too in a different way. Each story will be unique, and I say I'm going to buy myself that book. So it might be something that you want to. If, if that's piqued your interest, then have a have a look at his his uh, his website. Um, it's been a hard time for many people uh, in these last few weeks and months. It seems that the world is so uncertain, um, and we in in my family in the UK, one of our members of the family lost his life after a long fight with cancer in his 30s, one of my, my, my nephews. So it was a hard, hard couple of weeks, really, recently. And I sent a message by our, to our family group, um, because I am, I'm always sending them. I try to send things that make them smile, really, any, anyway. Um, and I sent a note to say, this week, this was just in the last week or two, um, go up to a stranger, that, or perhaps don't pin them in a corner or you know, make them feel like physically threatened, but go, go up to a stranger and smile at them and say hello. And if they smile and say hello back, you get two points. If they just smile, you get one point. If they don't smile at all or say hello, then you get zero. If they quickly turn and walk away, you get minus one. If they turn and run, you get minus two. And so my sister has taken us up on the challenge, so we're going to count, keep a score as a family. And it is quite funny, as I walk with my uh, dog around the, the park, Samurai Park, uh, so it's very funny in your head, because I'm thinking, I'm going to get some points this morning. And it's amazing, you can score quite highly when you go out confidently, and just, just to spread a little joy, don't scare people, don't be too weird. But, uh, you know, even just actually greeting people, um, I don't know how you are, whether you're the sort of person, depending on your day, whether you'd rather look at the floor and not be noticed, or whether you are the sort of person that loves to greet people and say, hi, morning. 
But I think it's something we could bring back, because there's many times where you try it, you get nothing back, or they, people look really shocked, or even offended. You know, I was at Grand Rock recently with our dog, a couple perhaps in their 30s, I think they weren't from Guernsey, I think they weren't from, they weren't very friendly. So I walked down with my dog and I went, uh, oh, hello, hi, and they looked at me as if I just punched them in the stomach. And I thought, you're probably from London, aren't you? <laughs> Sorry if you live from London, I'm, I'm from Kent, but uh, no offence there. So as we are reflecting, as we come together on this, what does this mean for us then? Let's just reflect at the end, next steps. So. As we just ponder for a moment Paul's words to be clothed with Christ and to love our neighbour, can we ask ourselves this week uh, to show, for Jesus to show us how we can live this out where we are in this week ahead? How can we do that? And then secondly, what small acts can we do to make a difference? Is it a bunch of flowers? Is it a phone call? Is it a lift? Is it making a meal? And I know that this church is a very active church and many, many people have been doing these things for, for a long time. But it's still fun to say, Jesus, this week, this day, this moment, what can I do? What small thing do you want me to do now? What's your word to me today? Remembering, as we're told, that the return of Christ is almost here. Are we there yet? We're nearly there. Finally, does the fact that the day of Christ's return is almost here, does it change your priorities? We all have priorities. We all have things that are the top of the list, that occupy our time and our thoughts and our heart and our resources. But does the fact that Jesus is coming soon change those priorities? Have some things become more important for you and others less so as you contemplate his coming back? Let's just pray. Dear Lord Jesus, like those early believers in Rome, from different backgrounds, rich and poor, Gentile and Jew, slave and free, we're reminded that we are very different in this church, in this place, but we can live as members of a family under your headship and we can live as citizens of society. We are have dual nationality, if it were, as it were. And Lord Jesus, give us a fresh vision to connect with the people around us and to bring your light to the people and places where we live in this time just before the dawn. Amen.